everyone. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast for scientists by scientists, where we summarize the latest and greatest research in neurodegeneration for you. Stay tuned for our episode on all things APOE from August 2022. We'll be right back. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. All right, welcome again to this A-Minder episode on apolipoprotein E, or APOE for short, and its association with neurodegenerative disease. If y'all are new here, listen up to learn how our podcast works and to get a little introduction on APOE. A-Minder is run by a team of volunteers who sort through published literature each month. They bin hundreds of abstracts into categories, and then someone comes along to summarize them into a podcast script that they'll then record. After script reviews, podcast recordings, recording reviews, and edits, You get a polished summary of topic-based literature to listen to while you're working, driving, working in the lab, feeling at home. Remember, we're only summarizing the abstracts during the podcast here for the sake of brevity, and so we can cover more research topics for you. If you want more or more specific information, please use the bibliography that you can find in the show notes. As I go through all the abstracts, I'll try to call out the paper titles and where they can be found. In today's episode, I'll be covering 10 abstracts that were published in August 2022 related to APOE, and we'll start today in cells, move to mice, and then to the human brain, and it's all APOE-themed. So in the human population, there are three common alleles for the APOE gene. You have E2, E3, or E4. The E4 allele is the largest genetic risk factor for late-onset Alzheimer's disease, which I'll refer to a lot during the episode as AD for short. Another abbreviation that I may say, BBB for blood-brain barrier. The E2 allele of APOE is protective against AD, and we consider the E3 allele to be a neutral risk. So oftentimes the literature will compare the high-risk E4 allele to the neutral risk E3. There's some really good papers in here today, so let's go ahead and get started. Our first paper is titled, Lipid accumulation induced by APOE4 impairs microglial surveillance of neuronal network activity. First author is Victor. Last author is Sai. They're affiliated with um, MIT. This paper is published in Cell Stem Cell and is a really great model looking at the APOE effect on communication between microglia and neurons using induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs for short. Using these CRISPR edited iPSCs, The authors observed increased lipid accumulation in the form of lipid droplets in the iPSC microglia that express the E4 protein, and that's associated with a weakened response to communication from neurons. E3 and E4 microglia were exposed to neuronal condition media, and their respective transcriptional signatures were evaluated. The researchers found that cues coming in from neurons acted on these microglia of the different genotypes in a different way, and that induced a lipogenic program in the E4 microglia that then exaggerated pro-inflammatory signals coming from the cells. So basically, the neurons acted on both E3 and E4 microglia, but in a different way, causing 
increased lipid accumulation in E4 microglia and increased pro-inflammatory signals. Researchers then observed that E4 microglia had a decreased uptake of extracellular fatty acids and lipoproteins, which then has implications on how microglia communicate back to neurons. So the conclusion of this work is that neuronal communication deficits of E4 carriers that's associated with AD specifically may be because of lipid dysregulation in other non-neuronal cells like microglia. The next paper is titled Astrocyte Secreted Lipocan 4 Drives ApoE4-Dependent Tau Hyperphosphorylation. First author, Saroha. Last author, Perea from Mount Sinai in New York, and this is the Journal of the National Academy of Science, USA. This second paper discusses a significant gap in APOE-related AD pathology. We know that E4 carriers have an exaggerated pathology, including exacerbated tau hyperphosphorylation, but the exact mechanism of this is still not known. The authors report a protein called GPC4, or glycocan 4 that's secreted from astrocytes is what drives tau hyperphosphorylation. What's cool about this finding is that GPC4 binds and interacts with APOE4, and it does so more than it does with the non-risk AD allele E2. And that postmortem E4 brains highly express GPC4 in neurotoxic astrocytes. When this protein was secreted from astrocytes in their in vitro model, it induced tau accumulation and propagation. Next, they used a tauopathy mouse model that had a CRISPR-Cas9 mediated activation of GPC4 and showed that the model had tau hyperphosphorylation. When they did a knockout of GPC4, APOE4 induced tau hyperphosphorylation was decreased in their iPSCs and in an in vivo mouse model. So a quick recap of this. This protein is activated in vitro from astrocytes and in a mouse model, and there's tau hyperphosphorylation. When the protein is absent in both the iPSCs and the mouse models, there's a reduction in tau, even though they still have APOE4 expression. So a potential mechanism they provide for this APOE4-specific hyperphosphorylation of tau through GPC4 is its interaction with LDL receptor-related protein 1, because that may act as a gateway to tau spreading between the cells. So it sounds like an interesting paper that deserves some more mechanistic follow-up. The next paper is called Peripheral APOE4 Enhances Alzheimer's Pathology and Impairs Cognition by Compromising Cerebrovascular Function. First author is Liu, last author Boo from Mayo Clinic Jacksonville, and this was published in Nature Neuroscience. So we're moving pretty much from cells into mice. Paper three is such a cool one. One concept to review before going into this paper is that there are two distinct pools of APOE in the body, the periphery and in the central nervous system. Most of the peripheral APOE is made by the liver, and most of the central nervous system APOE is made by astrocytes. And these distinct pools do not cross with one another. And the reason that we know this is because people who've had liver transplants show the majority of their own body's APOE as the donor's alleles. If the donor had a different APOE and their genetic isoforms were different, their new liver actually begins to produce that APOE, and that's what most of their body has. But their CNS APOE is still the same as their original genotype, which is pretty cool. So Gujambu's group used an APOE knockout mouse with a conditional knock-in of either the E3 or E4 in the liver 
only to assess the effect of peripheral E4 on the brain. So to simplify this, they had mice that had no APOE protein except what was being made in the liver from either E3 or E4 expressing cells. No APOE being made in the brain. And the result was that E4 made from the liver actually compromised synaptic plasticity and cognition through impairments in cerebrovascular function. The plasma proteome, which they analyzed because presumably something within the plasma would be impacting the brain because APOE doesn't normally cross the blood-brain barrier, this showed APOE isoform-dependent functional pathways that highlighted cell adhesion, lipoprotein metabolism, and complement activation. So in order to further elucidate if the plasma contained factors that influenced the brain, they took plasma from APOE3 or APOE4 young mice and injected it into older wild-type mice and saw that the E3 plasma from those young mice improved cognition and reduced vessel-associated gliosis in the older wild-type mice. But the same effect was not seen in the E4 young plasma. Human iPSCs from endothelial cells showed this again, where E3 plasma treatment was positive for endothelial integrity, while E4 was not. Amyloid mouse models also recapitulated similar findings where liver-only E4 increased brain amyloid pathology, but E3 treatment reduced it. So in conclusion, there's a proposed vascular mechanism by which liver-expressed E4 acts to exacerbate AD pathology, which is a really important distinction and influence to take note of. Our next paper is titled Investigating the Plasma Liver-Brain Axis of Omega-3 Fatty Acid Metabolism in Mouse Knockins for Human Apolipoprotein E4 Allele. This is by first author Hussein, last author Plourd from Quebec, Canada, and it is published in the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry. So paper number four is staying in the mouse models and also emphasizes this connection between the liver and the brain with APOE. You've probably heard a lot about omega-3 fatty acids and their investigation in improving E4-related neurological outcomes. The way that E4 and E3-expressing mice metabolize plasma DHA is different. Plasma DHA is one of the main omega-3 fatty acids. And because they metabolize it differently, this suggests that the liver-to-brain axis through the plasma of DHA delivery and metabolism might be compromised in E4 carriers. Targeted replacement mice that expressed human E3 or E4 were given a regular chow diet or a diet that was enriched with DHA. This enrichment was 0.7 grams of DHA per 100 grams of diet. This diet lasted eight months, and then mice were examined for potential differences. Looking in the cortex, E4 mice given the control diet had a higher concentration of DHA than E3 mice on the control diet. E4 mice also had 20 to 30% lower plasma DHA and arachidonic acid concentrations than E3 mice had in both the control and the DHA supplemented diet. In E4 mice, plasma, liver, and adipose levels of DHA were correlated with Barnes maze scores and a better recognition index during cognitive testing. Higher arachidonic acid levels in the liver and the hippocampus of E4 mice were negatively correlated with cognitive performance. It seems as though E4 mice rely upon more plasma DHA than E3 mice do, and that disturbances in plasma DHA metabolism may have a greater impact on cognition in E4 carriers. The next paper is titled A Multi-Omics Analysis of Blood-Brain Barrier and Synaptic Dysfunction in ApoE4 Mice 
The first author is Barisano. The last author is Zlokovic. They're affiliated with UCLA, and this is the Journal of Experimental Medicine. So our fifth paper finishes up with the mouse and the cell studies and looks a bit more into the blood-brain barrier and synaptic dysfunction that is associated with carrying E4. We know that E4 carriers experience blood-brain barrier breakdown in mouse models of AD and in human patients. Blood-brain barrier dysfunction predicts cognitive decline, and it usually comes before the onset of any synaptic dysfunction in E4 human carriers. However, not much is known about how E4 affects blood-brain barrier and synaptic function from a molecular standpoint. So the authors use single-nucleus RNA sequencing and phosphoproteome and proteome analyses to show differences in E4 compared to E3 that highlight an early disruption of the blood-brain barrier transcriptome in young E4 mice. This is followed by dysregulation in protein signaling networks that influence cellular junctions, the cytoskeleton, clathrin-mediated transport, among others. So changes in the blood-brain barrier signaling give rise to loss of pericytes and preceded postsynaptic interactome disruption and behavioral deficits that were observed in the mice approximately two to five months later. The authors conclude that E4 mice have dysregulating signaling in the endothelium and the parasites that reflects a molecular signature of progressive blood-brain barrier failure that comes before changes in synaptic function or deficits in behavior or cognition. All right, thanks for listening so far. We have five more papers to cover when we get back from this short break. Hi, I'm Ellen Rowe, host and co-founder here at Aminder. I've been with the team since the very beginning in 2020, and I really love it because it's an outlet to hone my own science communication skills, and I feel super passionate about the mission of making sure scientists are well-informed about all of the new research being churned out. It's also super rewarding to be a part of a community of like-minded and driven scientists from all career stages. If you're interested in getting involved with our team, we are currently recruiting new hosts and content creators for the show. This is a great opportunity for researchers interested in keeping up to date with the latest Alzheimer's research and getting some science communication experience in the process. If this has piqued your interest, you can reach us at aminderpodcast at gmail.com or through any of our social media platforms, and we'd love to hear a bit about you. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. Our next paper is titled Correlations Between ApoE4 Allele and Regional Amyloid and Tau Burdens in Cognitively Normal Older Individuals. First author Hong, last author Sepulcre from South Korea and Harvard out of Boston, Massachusetts. And this was published in the Journal of Science Reports. So paper number six is going to kick off the human research on ApoE in August 2022. This study wanted to further elucidate E4 carrier status with regional amyloid and tau deposition and cortical thickness measurements in older adults who are cognitively normal. So they analyzed 185 cognitively healthy participants 
from the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative cohort. Between the ages of 55 and 90, who were again cognitively normal, they were divided into different groups based on pathology. So there were amyloid beta positive APOE4 carriers. There were 27 people in that group. There were amyloid beta positive non-APOE4 carriers, 29 people in that group and the amyloid beta controls, which were all the individuals, again, cognitively normal, that had no amyloid beta present, E3 and E4 carriers together, with a total of 129. So again, they're comparing people with pathology and amyloid present that are E4 versus non-E4 to everybody else who doesn't have amyloid. They did observe that these non-E4 carriers that were amyloid positive were a little bit older than the other two groups. So just that as a caveat. And looking at amyloid and tau between these groups alongside cortical thickness, researchers found that E4 had strong correlations with increased amyloid burden in the frontotemporal parietal cortical areas after adjusting for age and sex. However, E4 had a weaker and mixed correlation with regional tau burden and didn't have a significant correlation with cortical thickness. So in summary, they believe that E4 may be more associated with amyloid deposition than with tau or cortical thickness two other common imaging biomarkers in exclusively cognitively normal older adults. The next paper is titled Associations Between Subthreshold Amyloid Beta Deposition, Cortical Volume, and Cognitive Function Modulated by APOE4 Carrier Status in Cognitively Normal Older Adults. First author Kang, last author Lim from Seoul, South Korea in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. In looking again at completely cognitively normal adults, Researchers in paper number seven wanted to learn more about how the APOE4 protein impacts subthreshold amyloid beta levels in the brain by assessing cortical volume and cognitive performance. These are older individuals who carry E4, but they're not experiencing dementia symptoms as the researchers wanted to understand the E4 effect on this preclinical amyloid. They found through imaging studies that E4 carriers that had a higher regional amyloid beta deposition also had greater cortical volumes, something that could be due to an interaction between E4 and regional amyloid deposition in the posterior cingulate cortex and percuneus area. They also found that E4 carrier status and cognitive testing scores were associated with gray matter volume of the left middle occipital gyrus. You'll need to read the full manuscript to find out more details about these specific associations, but the researchers conclude that there may be a compensatory response with E4 carriers that initiates amyloid beta deposition in the early preclinical AD stages. The next paper is titled RNA Hypomethylation and Unchanged DNA Methylation Levels in the Cortex of APOE4 Carriers and Alzheimer's Disease Subjects. First author Shen, last author Yang from the University of Maryland, and this is in the Journal of Current Alzheimer's Research. So our eighth paper is really interesting as it looks at the epigenetic modifications associated with E4 carriers. They use postmortem brain tissues from E4 and non-E4 carriers and AD patients versus controls. They analyze methylation, methyltransferases, and demethylases. Using immunofluorescence staining on the brain sections that they had, they found that RNA methylation is suppressed in E4 carriers. There's also an increase in RNA demethylase expression and a suppression of an RNA methylation reader and RNA methyltransferase. Looking at mature neurons stain positive for NUIN, 
in E4 carriers and in AD patients, they found that RNA hypomethylation compared to non-E4 carriers and controls. So in E4 carriers, they found DNA methyltransferases and demethylases are downregulated and that DNA methylation levels overall remain unchanged. The overall synopsis of the study is that E4 carriers have decreased RNA methylation that seems to occur before AD pathogenesis and persist throughout AD pathology. The next paper is titled APOE4 Influences Cognitive Decline Positively in APP and Negatively in PCIN1 Mutation Carriers of Autosomal Dominant Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Almkis and the last author, Grath. And they are from the Karolinska Institute Department of Neurobiology and Care Sciences and Society in Sweden. And this is published in the European Journal of Neurology. Our ninth paper, researchers in Sweden wanted to better understand how carrying an E4 allele affects the onset of AD in familial AD cases. So we know that E4 carriers develop late onset AD symptoms at an earlier age with an increase in pathology. But how does the E4 status translate to these familial Alzheimer's disease genes? Families with familial mutations, which are known as mutation carriers in this paper, were compared to non-carriers. There were 39 mutation carriers and 40 non-carriers from six autosomal dominant AD families that either had a mutation in APP or PCIN1. So they're using the families as kind of controls within this study. So these study participants underwent cognitive testing multiple times, and a timeline of their disease progression and natural history was defined as years to the expected age of clinical onset based on the history of each disease within each family. Both groups were comparable in terms of demographics and the presence of an E4 allele, and they used linear mixed effects modeling that analyzed multiple factors and concluded that mutation carriers had a cognitive decline trajectory that was predicted by linear and quadratic years to the expected clinical onset and also education status. So the same cognitive decline trajectory was predicted by age and education in the non-carriers. So basically, if they didn't have the familial gene, their cognitive decline was predicted by age. However, if they did have the mutation gene to cause early onset AD, of course, their cognitive decline would be predicted by the progression of the disease within their family. So kind of that like average years of expected clinical onset. And then education had an influence in both models, which is a really interesting social aspect that we see having an influence on Alzheimer's disease risk and progression. When looking at E4 carrier status, the results didn't change in either group. When looking at E4 status in years to the expected age of clinical onset interactions with each mutation-causing gene separately, there was a more favorable interaction in the APP family of mutation carriers compared to the PCIN1 family. So what this means is that they think that the E4 allele influences cognitive decline positively in APP carriers, but it may be negative in the PCN1 mutation carriers, even though there wasn't an overall effect. This offers a possible antagonistic pleiotropic effect of APOE4, where it may be beneficial to those who have APP early onset AD mutations, but more harmful to those who have the PCN1 mutation. Our last paper title is The Protective Effect of Apolipoprotein E3 on Sporadic Alzheimer's Disease in the Chinese Population, a Meta-Analysis. All right, this one 
first author Chen Q, last author Chen L. This is from Sichuan University in China and is published in Science Reports. So our 10th abstract looks at a meta-analysis from China to understand how the E4 allele prevalence is broken down among ethnic groups within China. Looking through databases from the last 20 years of both Chinese and English literature, data on APOE genotype and Alzheimer's disease was collected, and they conducted correlation analyses with this data. The researchers calculated odds ratios according to APOE genotype, and a total of 116 studies were deemed eligible after publication bias analyses and sensitivity analyses were performed. All total, they compared 23,396 patients with Alzheimer's disease to 25,568 controls. And important to the researchers' goals, the study covered at least 30 of the 34 provinces, including Taiwan. There were no differences between sex in either group. Using random effects models, the APOE4 allele in AD was higher than in the healthy controls with an odds ratio of 2.8. The frequency of E3 and E2 in AD patients were significantly lower than in healthy controls. That makes sense. We know E4 is the risk one, should be higher in the AD patient. The frequency of individuals with either a 2-4, a 3-4, or a 4-4 carrier status in AD was higher than in controls, again, indicating the risk of E4 carrier status. But what was interesting about the study on the other side was that there were less people who had a 2-2, a 2-3, or a 3-3 genotype in the AD group, suggesting you know those are the less risky genotypes. But the odds ratios are listed in the text. And I suggest that you go back and read those to see all of the details. But the lowest odds ratio actually came from the 3-3 carriers rather than the traditional 2-2 carriers that we normally recognize as the most protective against AD. And the authors reiterate that this is the largest meta-analysis in the Chinese population looking at APOE and AD in the last 20 years, and that the E3 carrier status seems to have a greater protection against late-onset Alzheimer's disease in the Chinese population than E2 does, which is different than we see in a lot of the literature. All right, everybody, that's all I have for you for August 2022 and April Lee. I just wanted to say a big thank you for listening to my first podcast as Dr. Cassie Friday. Um, I have to sneak that in there because I defended my dissertation last week and I'm still on cloud nine about it. So now let me put in a shameless plug for Aminder using real life experience from my dissertation writing. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers, and as I feverishly wrote my dissertation, I actually cited probably over half the papers that I've covered in these episodes that I've written um, and hosted in the last few months. So this really made my writing process a lot easier and better, and I think that it could help you too if you're interested in joining our team. This all takes a lot of work behind the scenes from people to sort papers into topics, write scripts, record and edit, so we're always interested in adding more people. And if you're interested in volunteering with Aminder, please send us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much to Ellen R. for reviewing this script for me and to Scott for editing the episode. Thanks, everybody.